Hello, and welcome to Setting the Skein. I'm Ben. I'm Doug. I'm Tristan. I'm Elijah. And wow, we're all here. Hey, Doug, yeah. I have a joke for you. <laughs> Ask me the joke. Okay, knock, knock. Who's there? Well, I can't say the punchline because this is a family-friendly podcast, but it was You're in the absolutely. movie that we talked about this week. You're absolutely right. I know that we, we watched say this that- week. You know, I know that we say that this podcast is actually PG-13, but let's face it, fellas, none of us have the guts to drop one F-bomb on this <laughs> podcast, yeah. mainly because of the people who we are constantly around and the people who we work with and the people who listen to this podcast, all three of them. Um, yeah. But regardless, <laughs> but regardless, yes, <laughs> we cannot quote the full joke that is said in this movie. We will talk about it later. But, uh, Ben, I've rambled on long enough. Ben, what movie did we watch this week? Well, Doug, I'm glad you asked. We watched uh, Catch Me If You Can, and that's all the information I have about it because you well, that's got all great, that stuff ben. pulled up. Ben, you are absolutely right. I do... I'm, I'm always very right. sorry. That would be my... Well, you can hear it on the recording. Um, the sound of Darth Vader's voice saying, uh, you underestimate the power of the dark side. You know how Darth Vader sounds. Yeah. Um, because I have a Star Wars themed clapper, you know, clap on, clap off, clap on, clap off the clapper. I have a Star Wars themed one in my room and my Darth Vader one just came on. Ben, I don't know why I'm rambling about this because I do have the information for 2002's Catch Me If You Can pulled up on my telephone right here. I'm directed by... Uh, Mr. Steven Spielberg, or Spielberg, as no one says, um, starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Tom Hanks, Christopher Walken, Amy Adams, Martin Sheen, Nat- Natalie, yeah, Natalie, uh, Bay, Jennifer Gardner, uh, Elizabeth Banks, James Brolin, Frank John Hughes, Brian House, Steve Easton, Ellen Pompeo. I don't know why I'm saying all this. Point is, this is a big cast, folks. This, this, uh, I actually this. pronounce it Steven Spielberg. Ah, uh, gotcha, um, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, this uh, this is a movie that came out Christmas Day 2002. Um, and, yeah, uh, it is a Christmas movie, so that makes sense. It is. This is like one of those Christmas movies that you just know from the feel of it. It's a Christmas movie. Uh, made on a budget of $52 million and grossed $161,615,000 uh, in the U.S. And cumulative worldwide gross was $352,114,000. Uh, Ratings-wise, this movie holds an 8.1 out of 10 on IMDb, a 96% on Rotten Tomatoes, a 75% on Metacritic, and a 92% on The Goog. Uh, yeah... This is a really good movie, and I know that I'm the only person here who has seen it, so we'll just bypass all this, and I'll talk about why I first watched this movie. So everyone, sit back. Sit back in your big old rocking chairs and listen as uh, listen as Papa Doug uh, spins a tale Great. of Catch Me If You Can. Uh, so you see, folks, uh, about one year and a month ago, this little thing called the coronavirus... I don't know why I said it like this, but the uh, the coronavirus arrived. Uh, it, it was here. We were not ready for it, but it arrived. But anywho, um, yeah, so COVID hit. Uh, we all got put into quarantine, and Doug, while trying to figure out a way to stay relevant and alive and, 
and just like you know, live his life still. He uh, he went to the uh, to the best store on planet Earth, Second and Charles, and he bought himself a random box of movie movies, a box yeah. of random movies. I can't talk right now. And uh, in that little box of movies was uh, was this DVD, a DVD, uh, called Catch Me If You Can. And fellas, Doug Gooden watched that movie three times in a row the first day he bought it. And he watched it multiple times after, uh, throughout quarantine, as quarantine was lifted, as life started to resume back to normal. Um, Point of the matter is, I've seen this movie a whole heck of a lot, and I love it so freaking much. Doug, I think you've seen this movie enough for all of us. 100% I have. Because I, I think, don't think any of the rest of us have actually seen this before tonight. You and I think you've watched it enough times to make up for the rest of us. You want to know what's better? Is that during this past year, I've accrued many, many uh, streaming services. And every time I do, if this movie is on said streaming service, it's the first movie I watch. <laughs> I don't know, maybe I'm... Is this movie maybe, in your top ten? It's not. It really isn't. And I thought about it because I kind of know what I'm going to give it. Mm-hmm. And it's a high enough score that it should knock some movies out of my top ten. But it's it's not there. And I really can't explain why. I think I'm going to put it up against another Steven Spielberg movie, The Terminal, in terms of... Really nice, feel-good movies made by Steven Spielberg with really good cast from the early 2000s that just make me feel alive and good inside, but there's something holding me back from saying this is one of the greatest movies I've ever seen. Because it's not. It's just, it's a really good movie that I really love. Um, yeah. Well, fellas, I'm curious. You all came into this uh, blind. So what what were you expecting from a movie with the title of Catch Me If You Can? Well, hi, folks. I'm Tristan. I've only said oh, Tristan, two words when did you this. get here? I don't know. I've only said two words thus far on this episode, but now I'm going to say some more. Um, I, uh, I didn't know what to expect. I... Um, had no idea what this movie was about. Uh, I I knew the poster because I saw it. So uh, I knew there was s- some blurriness <laughs> to be expected, which is in the poster. Um, knew Tom Hanks. Uh, well, I, I guess I didn't know Tom. I thought I don't know. I thought Tom Hanks might be in it, and then was surprised to see Tom Hanks in it. So. Maybe at some point I knew Tom Hanks was in it and then discovered that he was, and I was really happily surprised. Um, Doug mentioned The Terminal. I have seen The Terminal. I like The Terminal. Um, good movie. It, it's, good a, movie. it's a good movie. Um, yeah, he's right about that. It's a, Somehow this movie is still a feel-good movie. It's weird. It's a weird one. It, it, it brings a lot to the table. But I hadn't seen it before. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Elijah? You're well, also here. When when y'all put Catch Me If You Can on the list of movies we were going to do, my brain somehow converted it into um, Now You See Me, and that's, that's what I thought we were watching today. Yeah. 
and I I hadn't seen either movie, and <laughs> somehow the the titles were, you know, just evocative enough and just similar enough that I got them mixed up, and so then I was going. I didn't think Leonardo DiCaprio was in this movie, and then I realized I was thinking of the wrong movie. Um, I enjoyed it a lot, though. <laughs> I came for Now You See Me, but I stayed for Catch Me If You Can. Yeah, I think I mentioned that before at some point. I had that mixed up, too. Maybe see, I'm time. a guy who is actually a big fan of Now You See Me. I'm I think also this is a, a better fan movie. of Now You See Me. I, I think you got the better end of that deal. Cool. Now you and that's not to not now you see me because I know that it does get a lot of crap, but I really like it. Yeah, I, you know something? I also like now you see me. Um, I'm sorry, I'm gonna shut up because I talked for six minutes at the start <laughs> of this. I'm just gonna mute myself whenever y'all are ready to hear my voice again. Just, just, just let me know. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, Elijah, you were saying uh, <laughs> did did we know something? I was coming at you with one of our beautiful, well-rehearsed segues we always do. You know what's one of the cool things about this movie is that stacked cast and crew. I'm not reading this off of a document we're sharing on the screen right now. <laughs> no, it would make anybody think that. Um, I don't even but, know if I you mean, guys you, mentioned you... Uh, freaking Jennifer Garner, right? Yeah, uh, she... she's in this. Uh, Christopher Walken's in this. Can we talk about Christopher Walken? Because he, like, in this film, like, he's not, like, one of the, I mean, he, he's a supporting character, but every time he's on screen, just immediately grabs your attention. It's just, well, he's Christopher Walken. Right. So, I mean, he, he so already he looks kind of funny. So, you gotta, you gotta look at him. Yeah. Um, not to make fun yeah. of him. He just looks different. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, you know. He gives a, a great performance. I think it was like halfway through the movie. Um, he gives a good performance the whole movie, but yeah, he he really shines in this movie. It's mm-hmm. it's a good supporting role. And Jennifer Gardner, you mentioned her, um, Elijah. I don't think I've seen any of her movies. She is barely in this one. She just randomly shows up for a scene. Yeah. Uh, what else has she been in? Do you know, Doug? Why, yes, I do, Ben. Um, uh, excuse me, your name's Tristan. not Ben. Your name is Tristan. Your name is Tristan. I don't care. Let's hear it. Um, so, yeah, so Jennifer Gardner. Uh, so, uh, most people, I feel like most people our age know her as the woman from 13 going on 30, um, which was a movie that I've seen once in my life, and... Uh, Ben, if you like some really good pre-MCU Mark Ruffalo, there's a lot of it there for you, buddy. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of it there. Um, I do she like also, some Mark Ruffalo. She also was in Pearl Harbor. Uh, uh, recently, she was in the Netflix movie Yes Day, uh, as well as uh, the film Peppermint. She was in Dallas Buyers Club, Juno. Um, however, gentlemen, her claim to fame is uh, the 2003 and 2005 smash hits Daredevil and Elektra. Oh. Uh, in which she plays Elektra. I forget what Elektra's So this is completely is. unrelated. Um, yeah, But shoot. since you brought up Daredevil, I want to talk about it. Um, so I've been re-watching uh, all the, the entirety of the Marvel Cinematic Universe with TV shows included. I just got done with the first season of Daredevil. 
well, there's also this Daredevil movie that happened with Ben Affleck. It was all, a horrible mess. Apparently, there's a director's cut out there that's actually pretty good. Yeah. And I want to see it. Anyway, yeah. that's all I wanted to say. It, uh, it came out in the period of time when superhero movies just featured dark leather, um, which is a really mm-hmm. weird time. Weird time, man. Like uh, but, uh, but anyway... Yeah, but uh, but anyway, yeah, Jennifer Gardner's in this for a hot minute. I will say, I think at the beginning of this, I said she was Jennifer Connelly, and that's a completely different actress. Uh, she was in Labyrinth. Yeah. She was in Labyrinth, and I don't know what else, but I'm pretty sure she won an Oscar. Um, <laughs> okay. But, but I can talk about my boy Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken, who rolls up in this movie, first of all, says one of the weirdest and most out-of-context uh, lines ever. But I love it, uh, which is, if you'll indulge me uh, as I attempt my sure. horrible Christopher Let's Walken impression. It. You see, two mice fell in oh. a bucket of cream. One mouse gave up and quickly drowned. The other mouse struggled and worked at that cream until suddenly, until eventually he churned that cream into butter. And then he walked out. My friends, I am that second mouse. Wow. And that's the inspiration immediately. I'm inspired. Which, Amen. A, Amen. Really. Amen. <laughs> here's the thing, fellas. Here's the thing. If you want a line, there are a few film lines that you can just bring out at any point, And it will cause such a level of confusion that everyone will be forced to go along with whatever point you're trying to make. Mm-hmm. One of them is two little mice fell in a bucket of cream. That's that's one of the lines. There's another line, again, unrelated, but from this really random movie called Suburban Commando, starring uh <clears throat> starring Hulk Hogan and Christopher Lloyd. Um, in which Christopher Lloyd says, and I quote, <clears throat> I was frozen today. You can bring both of those out at any party, any social gathering. Heck, any meeting with your boss. In a prayer, maybe? In Um. a prayer. Look, my favorite prayer I've ever heard was when when I stood up in front of my church congregation about to uh, take up the offering. And they were like, "Uh, Doug, will will you say the prayer? And I was like, yes, I will. Uh, Everyone bow your heads. I was frozen today. Amen. And then I took up the offering, folks. I took it. Wow! Up. And you, you know what? You know what's so crazy about this story? It's true. Yep, one hundred percent true. true. Oh, that was a heck of a segue, Tristan. Is it's, it true uh, though? It's based, it's based on a true. It story. is based on a true story. That's right. Yeah. Um, Thanks, Ben. Well, it's based on a book away. that's based on a true story. Um, the actual Frank Abagnale. Abignale. How do you pronounce his last name? Abignale. Not Abignale. Not Abignale. Abignale. That. That. Um, has said that the book is about 80% true, uh, and then the movie takes a few more liberties, so I would say it's in the ballpark of like 60-70% true. Um, anyone kind of want to run us through the plot real quick? Sure, I'll do it. Thank you, Tristan. All right. So, real quick. You got uh, you got the Abagnales, all right. You've got uh, Frank Abagnale and a son and his wife. I don't remember her name, but it's not important. Uh, not his so, son's wife. Um, that's not important. Um, so basically, 
his father is kind of like a small-time con artist. Um, at least maybe he was a big-time con artist and then got caught for doing it. It's kind of a little bit unclear uh, at the beginning of the movie what exactly happened. But basically, he's really in trouble with the IRS. Um, so he is trying to make his way and do right and help his family. Anyway, his son sees this, played by Leo DiCaprio. Um, and his son starts to do it. And eventually his parents get divorced, and his son runs away and begins to do all these different scams. His first one is, um, well, before that, he says, I need money, because, of course, you do. Um, that's how the world goes. Uh, and so he says, uh, he goes to the bank, tries to get some money. They say, well, you're not important enough to get money. He says, oh, okay. So he leaves. He sees a guy in a suit that is a pilot, and he says, that's me. So he figures out how to become a pilot. Uh, he fakes it. He gets a suit. He gets a, he gets an ID. He gets all the things he needs. Um, he fakes his whole way there. He goes to the bank. They say, you're a pilot. Here's money. So he does that. He keeps doing that. He, he becomes a lawyer eventually. He poses as a doctor. Um, he, almost, he literally almost gets married in the movie um, until he has to escape again. This, while the whole time, there's this FBI agent who's hot on his tail the entire movie it's kind of told um uh where it's it's non-linear so you're seeing parts of the future kind of in a flashback um but most of the movie is sort of telling you what has already happened um yeah and then in the movie um he uh he's caught in in france taken back to the u.s serves uh serves some time then he starts working for the fbi to serve out the rest of his time uh, him and um, the FBI agent Carl become friends um, and uh, sort of like a mentor figure to him, or at least it's suggested that that's what happens. So, yeah. There you go, folks. Right. Go go see the movie. Thank if you. you haven't already, spoiler alert, go watch the movie. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about the characters. Uh, the... I mean, you got Frank and Carl, who are the two main characters, uh, kind of yep. your back and forth throughout the whole movie. I really like how their relationship evolved kind of over the course of this whole movie. Because I feel like the whole time, like throughout this whole movie, um, like at the beginning you've got Frank who's got uh, relationships with each of his parents, and you you kind of see that trust between them break uh, after um, leading up to his parents' divorce where his mom uh, cheats on him his dad um and his, and his dad, dad is fraudulent is, in general right yeah uh so he runs away but doesn't give up on trying to get them back together which i think is really interesting yeah um well until, i mean god there's also there's also a pretty similar um parallel between carl and frank um <laughs> whereas carl is a father who is estranged from his daughter and ex-wife um and then frank is sort of the the son that is estranged from his parents you know so in a way it's kind of you know they have similar family experiences that um kind of naturally draw them together in in a way that wouldn't have happened otherwise um so there's also mutual respect between both of them too as as the chase goes on um, Frank calls Carl several times on Christmas Eve. Um, 
at his off at his FBI office and talks to him and um, becomes very clear that Carl is someone that Frank can confide in as the movie goes on. So we see this relationship happening in a weird sort of way, uh, but um, you know it, it's still sort of a mentorship, but it's it's a criminal and um, an officer, you know. So it's interesting. They are they are antagonists towards each other for the majority of the movie, but the building yeah. blocks of a more mentorship kind of relationship are there slowly accumulating. Yeah, yeah, they're like being dragged through the mud the whole time, but somehow they're still there. <laughs> yeah, yeah so- uh, it's weird. It's like um, I think it's set up to where they're really the only ones that are there for each other. Because uh, we find out at the end of the movie that um, Carl doesn't really get to see his daughter very much. And Frank tries to have relationships with people, but due to the nature of his existence, those aren't really long-lasting relationships. Yeah. Um, something that's really, really interesting, and I think is really commendable with this movie, is it takes... Leonardo DiCaprio, who at the time that this movie was uh, released was twenty was twenty eight years old, so he's almost thirty when this movie comes out, and the movie has to make us has to make us believe he is seventeen throughout the majority of this movie, and it's in his blind dedication to his parents, his blind like desire to to just have that sense of normalcy that he had for the first 16 or 15 years of his life. Like, it's in that that the movie doesn't make us doesn't make us aware of the fact that, like, this is a 30-year-old man playing a teenager. Like, like I think... Uh, I think Leonardo DiCaprio, like, should be commended for the level of believability his character gives off in this movie. Yeah, um, yeah. Especially when you look at a movie that another movie starring Leonardo DiCaprio that came out five days before this movie, and we've actually covered it on this podcast. Gangs of New York um, was released five days before this movie was. You know, uh, I, yeah. I I see movies like this, and it really it really makes me wonder how he didn't win an Oscar until the Revenue. I know, right? That's what I was looking up to see if he was nominated for this, but my phone is being slow. I think he was nominated for Gangs of New York. I don't think he was nominated for this. I don't think this was nominated for anything, which is really funny because its ratings are a lot higher than um, than the ratings for Gangs of New York. Mm-hmm. Um, it yeah. was nominated for two Oscars. Uh, Christopher Walken got nominated for Best Actor in a Supporting Role, and John Williams uh, for Best Music Original Score. It did not win either one. Uh, but Leo was nominated for a Golden Globe for his performance in this, okay, and also gotcha. did not win. Gotcha. And Leo was not nominated for Gangs of New York either. I do not believe so. Oh no, I I've got it pulled up. I okay. I was checking. Um, yeah, but no, I and, mean you know, a, a word on the Revenant. Um, it was great, but I just you know. I just don't. It's probably don't, not the one he should have won the Oscar for. Yeah, yeah I think I think that's the general consensus is that the Revenant win was definitely the Academy saying, "Okay, 
Leo as Leo has actually had a really good career, and he actually is a phenomenal actor. And there are probably like three or four movies that he's been in that we should have given him an Oscar for, but we didn't. Um, so here you go, Leo. Thank you for eating a liver on screen. <laughs> Spoilers, by the way, for um, yeah. Uh, can I just say, if we ever do an episode on The Revenant, I refuse to be on it because I refuse to watch that movie again. It's so, <laughs> so Terrible. boring, and it's so dumb. And that's I also like based that on our true story. Yeah, I liked it too. I hate I've never movie. seen it. Yeah, I hate that never movie. Never seen it. I definitely thought it was a movie worth making, but that's another episode that Doug won't yeah. be on. <laughs> I won't be on it. Um, yeah. I mean, I'll be on it if you want me to bash it, but yeah. Well, um, Doug, you, you mentioned John Williams, how he was nominated for this movie, and you also mentioned the score before we started. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'll be honest, and I'm not someone who really notices the music all the time. Sometimes I do, but this one I just it's just kind of the background, I guess, for me. But what mm-hmm. what made it stand out for you? So a lot of this is probably due to the fact that I've seen this movie way too many times in the last 365 days um, for any sane person. Yeah, um, three times in one day. Doug? <laughs> what about other I movies? Think, I don't think I've ever watched it three... Oh, wait, yeah, I did. You did say I that. I did watch it. Yeah, yeah for, I did say that. The first day you got it. I did say that. You at least um, claimed you did. Whether you did or yeah. not is a mystery. Well, no, no, no. I did watch this movie multiple times the first time I got it. Um... But a lot of it is is the fact that the score is so simple. It's really just something easy like ba da da ba da da ba ba da da ba da da ba and that's the score. Like that's the whole score. It's like six notes, and it rammed itself into my subconscious mind to the point that. I hear one of those six notes, and I'm like, oh, hi, catch me if you can. Mm. <laughs> um, and I can't get it out of my freaking head for at least a day after the fact. So I think I think that's the big thing, is? which I think... G- say that again? I, was, uh, I said, why do you think that is? Well... So it's because of the simplicity of it, or... Because I think a lot of so it, many times. I think a lot of it is the simplicity. Also, I mean, it's John Williams. Like John Williams has a knack. In case you haven't noticed, John Williams has a knack for creating memorable film scores. But I think you look at something like Star Wars or something like Indiana Jones, something that's very complex and iconic. Um, mm-hmm. And also, like I'm saying this, but it's not like to be mean or anything. A loud score, like it's loud you know when that score comes on. Catch Me If You Can, kind of like Tristan was saying, it very much so fades into the background. Mm -hmm. And I think because it fades into the background, you're able to forget about it really easily. Mm -hmm. And then if you hear it out of context, or you just hear it and you weren't expecting it, you know instantly, oh, we are in Catch Me If You Can. Mm. I think the score for this movie also serves a bit of a different purpose than it would in a movie like Star Wars or um, Indiana Jones. Yeah. Like, I I feel like for a movie like this, it should be more background because it is, you know, less fantastical. It is more, I guess, realistic. So, personally, I think it makes more sense for it to fade more into the background, just kind of help uh, keep things moving. 
Oh, yeah. All that's to say, like, I do love the score. Um, mm-hmm. I do what, love the score. Go ahead. One of the um, points in which... I don't remember how the music went, but I remember the feeling, and there must have been music during it, um, mm-hmm. that was building pretty heavily, um, was at the Miami airport scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really the whole period of when... He got caught at right at his wedding, and then all the way until, uh, all the way until he actually got on the airplane and, and flew away. Uh, that whole that whole section was very tense, and I just remember a very specific kind of heart wrench mm-hmm. that I haven't felt in a little while in movies, and it was when he pulls up and sees his fiance standing there waiting for him but there's like 50 government agents watching mm-hmm. for him you know and he, re- he has that realization he's like i can't go out there and go to her because i'm gonna get caught and so then he just kind of he like slowly drives away and we're unsure if she saw him or not but yeah um but that was it so that yeah. is one thing I do kind of wish we got a little bit more closure about. Because, like, we see him go back to her house at the end and uh, see her daughter, but I don't feel like we... Is that not her daughter? You're that's not her daughter. Her that's, that... her, that's her mom's new new daughter. Yeah, that's his, okay. that's his mom, yeah. yeah that little girl mom's. was his oh, half-sister. Gotcha. Yeah, do you remember Gotcha. That? Okay. They came up to her house in the first place. It was the same house. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. And I was, I was very confused on that. <laughs> oh well, no more. Disregard um, what I just said. But still, we then we didn't get any closure on that. No. Yeah. Which I think, I think that's I think that's kind of the interesting thing about uh, about the characters of Brenda and Frank is that they're they're literally both kids. I think they're mm-hmm. the most because you because you look at. Frank's other partners, and they're all older women. They're all like professionals. Um, but someone like Brenda is literally his same age. Granted, she doesn't realize that they're the same age, but they're the same age. So there still is that like youthful naivete about them. So you want to know more about what happened because Frank probably was going to marry her. Frank, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, the, I mean, th- this this is a relationship that could have happened naturally potentially if he would have just you know like lived a normal life like this is someone his age this is someone that he may have met something like that you know so it's interesting to put that in here where you know initially he maybe just kind of saw her as a way to get in Mm -hmm. um just like all these other women that he's used before but now, yeah. you know, now it's actually something real, which mm-hmm. is which is when he realizes, or at least a, a big part of when he realizes, I don't need to do this anymore. I'm I want to be done. And mm-hmm. he is he actually calls Carl on the phone, and you know, te- I mean, I think this is before then, maybe. But in any case, yeah, around that calls time, Carl's before then. Uh, yeah, around that time, he calls Carl, and he's like, "I'm here. Uh, let's talk." You know, like. And he actually gives. Him he said that he out. wanted a truce. Yeah, and then later on, he actually asks for him to stop chasing him. So, 
Yeah. He's um, done. He wants I to think, be done. I think a really good scene is when they're actually in France and um and Carl's got Frank. Like he's got him. Mm-hmm. There's there's no question. And Frank literally just says literally just says something to the effect to the effect of like Look, if you'll just let me go, we can keep chasing each other. You can keep mm-hmm. chasing me, and both of us will get that fulfillment that we need in life. Because, like, oh, that's yeah. all he knows. That's all he knows. He thinks um, that's a Batman-Joker ha- situation. Yeah. yeah. I'd say, I mean, that's been his entire life. It's constantly having someone chasing after him, and not always, like, in a bad way, I don't think. Like, that is how all of his relationships have worked in the past. And uh, I think that speaks a lot to his relationship with um, Carl, like we see at the end where Carl says, yeah, I know you're going to come back um, as he's getting ready to get on the plane at the end uh, because nobody's chasing you anymore. Yeah. And he, I I don't want to psychoanalyze too much because I am far from qualified to do that, but it's like he has this desire to be needed. Yeah. Very much so. Very much so. Um, yeah. For this desire to be desired, I guess. Well, I think that ties into, you know, him being young as well. And, mm-hmm. you know, Carl is like, this is just my job. Like, yeah, yeah I, you know, I'm not going to stop chasing you. But this is Frank's life. This is all he's known, pretty much. So he's like, I need to live. He's like, I want to live my life now. Well, Carl's like, you know, I I clock out <laughs> eventually when this case yeah. is done. So yeah, um, tying all this back together to uh, that point that we were talking about with the uh, with the score and the importance of the score, I found a uh, I found a review by BBC on the score for this movie, and I think it's I think it's really good. Um, in which they say, uh, reflecting the aspirational times in which the film is set, uh, Williams has put together a progressive jazz score, which is classy, catchy, and consumedly uh, professional. Uh, the eponymous title track is a slippery title number, sax and bass chasing each other in a helter-skelter pursuit. The melodic uh, repertoire is incredibly simple. Only a few musical themes of five notes or less lay the score's foundation and make for more of the irresistibly memorable theme tunes of which Williams is the maestro. Uh, it goes on for just a little bit um, more. Uh, retro tracks selected for the album capture the period's cheesy brand of glamour. There are the usual overworked cliches such as Sinatra inviting us to fly with him and Nat King Cole's chestnuts on open fire, but gems such as Judy Garland's Embraceable You and the original wistful girl from Ipanema. Ip- Ipanema? I think that's it. Um, Ipanema. Ipanema. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, still have a lot of life left, and it is a joy to hear them here. This may not be the most innovative album you've ever heard, but as an example of popular soundtrack craftsmanship has, at its finest, it is a masterclass. Well done, BBC. I see you. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, fellas, uh... As we kind of wind down this discussion of it, there's there's one last big note, and it's not really a big note, but it is something worth mentioning because we kind of opened the show with it. Um, you obviously did. this, 
Yeah, I know I did. No, excuse me, I didn't. Ben did. I did. Yeah. We both did. Oh. Yeah. Ben did. We shared it. I don't Um, know. Just give me someone to blame. That's all I want. (laughs) But anyway. So this is really... hate mail to uh, Michael Ruiz. Uh. (laughs) 100% you should do that. Um, But, uh... But anyway, um, so, so this movie, um, it's PG-13. This is not the first PG-13 movie that we've seen on this podcast. It probably won't be the last. No. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's highly doubtful it will be That'd the last That'd be a PG-13. weird thing to cut out. It's like, we're that not going to do so any more weird. PG-13 movies. That would movies. be so weird. <laughs> we're still going to do G, PG, and R, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, uh... This movie does something that a lot of PG-13 movies don't do really well. This movie knows how to use its curse words. For for those of you who don't know, the MPAA, um, the uh, Motion Picture Association of America, who gives a film its rating, um, they give a PG-13 movie, uh, you're, you're eligible for a PG-13 as long as you... Uh, as long as you do not have more than one use, uh, language-wise, they give it to you as long as you do not have more than one use of the F word um, in a non-sexual sense. Okay? Now, a lot of movies think uh, X-Men Days of Future Past. Uh, I don't know why that's the only one I can think of right now, but it is. Um, a lot of movies just use that as a one-off, like, telling someone to, like, uh, F off or something like that. Okay? And it's kind of a wasted word. Catch Me If You Can, however, has a great use of its F word, um, and that you have, and that you have probably the weirdest line, another one of those lines that you can just pull out at a party, and no one will have a response to it. No, you can't respond to it. Because it's so out there, it's so out of left field, in which Tom Hanks's character Kyle Hamready, um, uh, people are giving him a uh, a hard time because they're like, "You're so serious. We never hear you joking." He said, "Well, you want to hear, you want to hear me tell a joke? All right. Well, here's my joke. All right. Knock, knock. Who's there?" And then he looks like very uncomfortable, and then he just says, "Go f yourself." Um. Also, I'm pretty sure people are going to be like, Doug, what the heck are you doing with your voice? Look, Tom Hanks, has got the, Tom Hanks has got the deepest New Brooklyn, New Yorker accent in this movie, and it's not a great accent, but no, good it, lord, it's a catchy it's accent. It's not a New York, it's like a Bostonian accent. I don't care. It's a really, Some like... Some kind of accent from, the, from New England. It's not a great accent, Area. but it weasels its head into your head it weasels its way into your head and you can't talk about his lines without saying things in that accent but anyway he just says like go f yourself and it's so out of left field like the movie is like hi this is our f word we're proud of it boom there there it is it's not as out of left field as uh planes trains and automobiles but Still out of left field. Well, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is radar solely for its F, <laughs> solely for the 17 F-bombs it drops. In one and scene. In less yep. than a minute. 17 F-bombs in less than a minute. That still is one of the greatest 
scenes ever. Um, mm -hmm. But I just I have to get... I just have to give props to this movie for giving us an F-bomb that is, like, well-warranted. Like, it's smart about the way that it uses its language. It's not some throwaway line. Because you remember that joke. You remember that joke as bad of a joke as... It, it's not even a joke. There's no punchline to it. But it's so weird and it's so off-the-cuff and it's so real that it just works. And there is a callback moment to it later. Yes, there is. Uh, yeah. And you if they Mr. were Wolf? going for an, <laughs> if they were going for an R, they would have gone with it. But they were not right. going for an R. Right. I don't know if. Oh wait, yeah, Steven Spielberg <coughs> directed Saving Private Ryan. He one hundred percent has directed an R-rated film. Um, yeah. He's uh he's been working with old Tommy Tommy Hanks. Old Tommy movies. Hanks. Um. All right. Well, uh, I've said a lot about this movie. Um, I knew that was going to happen. Uh, gentlemen, do you have anything else to add about this movie? It was exciting. It was a fun watch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was as exciting. Far as like critiquing, I don't have anything else to say. Yeah. It, like I said before, it was a really nice build-up, and it was like. You know, you didn't feel like you were in danger. Like, our character was in danger the whole time. Um, it just felt like... Um, it, it just felt like a slow burn up to the point of where you were like, Oh, snap. Now he's... Now he's in real trouble. Like, he's he's real close to him now, you know? Like, he's, he's, he's fooled him before. I don't know if he can fool him this time, though. You know what I mean? So, it, it kind of mm -hmm. built up like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, uh, if there's nothing else to say, gentlemen, let's score this sucker. All right, well, if this is your first time listening, uh, we use a pretty simple scale here at setting the skein. It's 1 to 100. You can kind of think of it like an American grade scale. Uh, 100 means that it is a perfect movie. It has no flaws. A 1 means it is an irredeemable steaming pile of turds. So, Ooh, it's steaming like to now. Sure. I'll, I'll go. Alrighty. Uh so I uh I had a good time. Let's be real. I had a great time. Uh and I um I'm gonna give this movie a pretty high rating, I think, for me. Okay. Um it's gonna be an eighty seven. Okay. And you know, I, I said before I gave the rating, I think my top thirty movies is like a probably like a ninety three and up for me. Um, if I had to rate them like that, but um, but this is getting close, you know. It's one of the one of the more up and up ones. Anyway, someone take it from me, please. I will. Uh, I was my number's pretty close. I was going to say eighty-five. Like I said, this is an exciting and fun watch. Um, it's not one of my favorite movies I've ever seen, but I'm definitely willing to watch it again. I definitely think this is a rewatchable movie. Uh, the performances were great, and the story kept me engaged. Yeah, All right. uh, mine's not too far off from y'all, uh, but I I did give it a little bit lower. I'm gonna give it an 81, mm. um, and I'm also gonna say it was almost lower. Um, <clears throat> my issue with this film um, is that I I find it hard to believe that he was able to do all of these things without remotely getting close to being caught. But the fact that it's based on a true story. 
It's just like, well, you can't really do anything with that. So I, I'm able to forgive it for that. Um, but yeah, it, had this not been based on a true story and everything played out like it did, I would have given it a lower score. Uh, but instead, I'm just going to give it an 81. Good movie. Nice. Uh, yeah. So, um, so I'm going to give it my score. Okay. And, and listeners, if you actually care about the, the consistency of my scores, you're going to go, Doug, why is this not in your top 10? Cause it's, it's got a higher score than movies that are in your top 10. What the heck is wrong with you? Look, I don't know. This is like my feel good movie of the year. <laughs> this is my feel good movie of the year for 2020. Um, I've seen this movie easily eight times in the last year and i was willing to watch it again tonight like there's no reason there's no reason i should have done that but i did i might give this movie a 94 um because it's really good and it has no reason to be this good it has no reason and yet it is all right well uh after plugging all that into our patented scoreometer well, it is Mr. Tristan who was right tonight. Uh, or at least the closest. Uh, we've got a final score of an 86.75. Yeah. yeah. So you were .25 off, Tristan. Hey, cool. congratulations, Tristan. Now you get the uh, yeah. the $20 that each of us gives to whoever <laughs> scores it closest to the uh, to the average score. Um, the yeah, reason that Ben has... dollars every week. That's right. The oh. reason Ben has become so wealthy since this podcast started. <laughs> yeah. No, right. no, 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 Ben, Ben. We don't we don't give we don't each give five dollars. I mean, you should know this. You've won a lot of them. Um, we don't each give five dollars. We each give twenty dollars, and that's oh. our betting pool for the for the week. Oh, of course. How could I forget? Mm, yes. It's the source of your power. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, uh, that that was... Uh, we caught him. We, we did it. <laughs> we caught him. And you know what, Ben? We could. We, ben, you know, we, we kind of looked at a very, like, nice, easy, breezy, like, kind of like soft-spoken, in the background, nice little <laughs> fun movie this week. Next week... Are we week, doing that next week? Next week, no, no. You know, I was actually going to say we are watching a similar movie next week. Because it's also also a movie about a guy who presents himself as much more than what he actually is. You know what, Elijah? In that case, I'm going to let you uh, introduce the movie that we're watching next week. Right. Thank you. It's pretty much the same movie. It's Nacho Libre. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. Nacho Libre is 2006's Catch Me, Catch me If You Can. It's just well, carried the torch. You'll just have to tune in next week to find out the connection there. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be something. Um, anyway, uh, be sure to keep up with all the cool stuff that Vider Media is doing. Uh, we've got new episodes of Setting the Skeen every Wednesday and new episodes of Tea with Doug G whoop. every Monday night. Uh, at nine o'clock um also be sure to keep up with us on social media to uh get all that stuff that i just said but yeah uh thank you for joining us this week and i hope you enjoy the rest of your week and check uh, us out as we talk about nacho libra next week but until then i'm ben i'm doug i'm tristan i'm elijah and this has been setting the ski y'all have a great week (laughs) 